So we are continuing in the series through 2 Timothy this morning, guarding the gospel. Now, I must confess that I sent the wrong verses to Linda. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, not 1 to 9. So I was only one off. So we are now in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It can be found on page 996 in your pew Bible. So please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is verses 1 to 8. Hear now the living, eternal Word of God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but for themselves, teachers, to, but will having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. So I've been working jobs since I was 11 years old. I've had dozens and dozens of jobs since then. And every job has duties and responsibilities that come with it. For example, teaching. You're told what's required of you. When I get hired, they say, you need to teach algebra and calculus. You need to take attendance in homeroom and keep an accurate roll book. You need to submit lesson plans weekly and so on. But with any position, there are some duties that are essential to your position. All duties are important in that they need to be done. But there are some duties that almost define a position. Like with being a teacher, the duty of teaching your content and managing your class are essential to doing your job. That's really what a teacher is. So in our study through 2 Timothy, Paul's been commanding and encouraging Timothy to continue forward in his task of guarding the gospel. And we've seen as how we as the church are called in this task today of continuing the work of guarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week we learned that in contrast to the sinfulness of false teachers that were influencing the church, Timothy has followed Paul. Timothy followed Paul's teaching and his godly life. And he will face persecution for this. And in the face of persecution, he needs to continue in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is sufficient for salvation and profitable for all the needs of the servant of God. 
Now Paul charges Timothy with what is essential in fulfilling his call. And in doing so, he lays out the essential duties of a pastor. First is to preach the word. Second is to evangelize. And third, faithfully finish. Now Paul, at the end of chapter 3, he laid out that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for salvation and sanctification. And now he commands Timothy with the essential duties of the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 1 and 2 he writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul's now making a final solemn charge to Timothy. The aging apostle knows that his final days have come. He will soon be taken out of the dungeon prison that he's in by Roman guards and executed. And so as he has been passing on to Timothy the knowledge that he needs to know in order to fill the apostle's shoes, he leaves him with this final charge. Paul has reached the emotional climax of this letter. Everything he's been telling Timothy has been building to this point. So Paul's determination to relay this message comes out in the seriousness and the urgency of the charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. The duties Paul is laying out for Timothy are not simply responsibilities of a boss given to an employee. The responsibility for Timothy and for all pastors are in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Pastors are to carry out their duties not only before the congregation, but before God himself. So these charges for pastors come right from the very word of God. God and Jesus Christ observe how pastors carry out these duties. And Jesus, he says, the one who has the authority to judge... Jesus is the judge of all people and all of their deeds. And so he most certainly will judge those who preach and teach in his name. So while the false teachers that Paul has been combating may have their influence now, Timothy is to keep his focus on God and Jesus Christ, who will judge everyone in the end. So this is a charge for every pastor to keep their focus on God and Jesus Christ not concern themselves with success in the world, but to focus on the gospel, the kingdom of God. And he's encouraging us that those who have abandoned faith for a message that's more marketable to the masses, they will be judged. Those that teach falsehoods about Jesus Christ and make a mockery of God will meet Christ in judgment. And he wants Timothy to keep this judgment in mind, but also that Christ, by his appearing, and his kingdom. While the false teachers and the heretics will face Christ in judgment, Timothy can focus on the appearing of Christ and his kingdom. Because at the return of Christ, Timothy will be ushered into the kingdom and rewarded for his faithfulness. The faithful pastor will be rewarded for his service in the ministry of the gospel. 
Now, the content of the charge that Paul gives, he, he gives a series of five commands. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But the first command here is the primary one. Preach the word. The commands that follow it give shape to how he is to preach the word. And so this gives us our first essential duty of a pastor. Preach the word. The word translated as preach here means to announce, proclaim, or declare like a herald would do. And Paul's urgent command to Timothy is to preach first and foremost the gospel but also the Scriptures, the whole counsel of God. As I said, at the end of chapter 3, Paul mentions how all Scripture is breathed out by God, but also he says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so Timothy's primary duty, and the primary duty of every pastor, is to preach the Word of God to God's The teaching and the reproof and the correction and training in righteousness that comes from the Word of God is to be done from the pulpit. Now, this is clearly not the only place this is to be done. It's not the only thing a pastor is to do, but it is primary. It is first and foremost what a pastor is to do. Preach the Word. Now, simply any preaching won't do. A pastor isn't to just get up and give his thoughts on life to the congregation. Even if there is a biblical text read at the beginning of the sermon, sometimes a preacher may just use the text as a springboard into what they want to say. But preach the word means that the preacher's message comes from the word of God. That's why what we call expository preaching or expositional preaching is so important. A simple definition of this term means that the message of the sermon comes from the message of the text. And so... A preacher must first determine what the text means, then in the sermon, explain the text to God's people and apply the text to their lives. John Stott wrote in his classic book on preaching, Between Two Worlds, that this type of preaching, to expound Scripture, is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. The expositor opens opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. In other words, expository preaching is to preach the Word of God in your sermons. And so, not only are there false teachers in pulpits that spread falsehoods about Christ, but many times, well-meaning pastors go wrong. And there's usually one of two issues. They're either preaching their own message that doesn't come from the message of the biblical text they just read, It often is just a a lecture on Christian living. But there's also those that just explain the text and fail to apply it. But the Word of God must be preached through explanation and application. And Paul gave us the result of what happens with the Word of God working in someone's heart. At the end of chapter 3, he said, So that the man of God, what he means there, the servant of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we see that in order to preach the word, a preacher must be ready in season and out of season. This means that the message of the word of God must be preached at all times. When the people want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it. When the preacher is feeling great and when he's feeling lousy. 
There will be times when preaching the word will be met with smiles and great attention. There will be times when the response may be distraction. The word of God must be preached on holidays when the church is full, like Christmas and Easter. And on holiday weekends when many people are on vacation. The word of God must be preached all the time. Sometimes even spontaneously. A preacher could be on a plane talking to the person next to them or at their day job or next to a neighbor. But ultimately, this is in the context of worship. The preacher will preach the word of God to his people in worship. So then we see these next three commands. Show us the need for the preacher to apply the text. A preacher is to preach the word with the aim to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And so the preacher is not to just preach a running commentary, handing over information to the people. But to reprove is to correct someone's error in thinking so that the person changes course. Preaching entails loving correction and guidance back to where God's people belong. And in addition to correction, there should be even times where rebuke is needed. Rebuking would be telling someone to stop wrongdoing. Jesus said to his disciples, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. But the pastor should also exhort and encourage the people in his preaching. The pastor is to urge the truth upon his hearers and exhort them to respond. And so now these three commands of reprove, rebuke, and exhort are actually qualified. There's There's a way the preacher is to do this with complete patience and teaching. The pastor is to preach the word with complete patience, knowing it will take some time to bear fruit in the lives of the people. A pastor is to faithfully preach the word and patiently allow the word to do its work, teaching the people the message and the doctrine of the word of God that was taught by the apostle himself with love and care for the people rather than a harsh and callous tone. There should be grace in the delivery of the message. So reproof, rebuke, exhortation are not the end goal, but they are means to both strengthen the doctrine and the lives of the people. But then Paul gives the reason that people need to be instructed with sound teaching. In verses 3 and 4 he writes, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul begins this statement, for the time is coming. He's speaking of a future that in some ways has already arrived in the time that he is writing this. This is connected to what he wrote earlier in chapter 3, verse 1. That in the last days, there will be times of difficulties. So the time that is coming is the last days. This is the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. It is the age of the church. And it's what Timothy is dealing with in the first century. And Paul is saying this will continue. It, It will most likely get worse. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Timothy And every pastor are called to preach sound biblical doctrine. And people will not endure it. They won't put up with it. There will be people that reject the truth. They don't want the truth to pierce their hearts. They want to continue in their sin. 
They want to go on without reproof, rebuke, or exhortation of the Word of God. They will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The people who have no desire to hear the truth of the Word of God and grow spiritually from it, they will find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And there are too many false teachers to count throughout church history, and it's rampant today. There's all kinds of teachers who tickle the itching ears of their followers. And I've mentioned liberal theologians who outright reject biblical doctrines. Uh, They reject the virgin birth, the resurrection. Some teach you can't believe any of the miracles in the Bible. And there's even preachers that teach you can't believe the Bible at all. But even more prevalent today is the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. People pack into stadiums to hear a preacher talk about God's desire for them to be rich and healthy. And these preachers tell sinful hearts what they want to hear. They teach that the primary concern of God is the physical well-being of his people. Therefore, financial and physical prosperity and success is the way he's going to bless you. And some of them go as far as to say that the Christian church have placed an unnecessary focus on suffering. Now, you would have to ignore at least half the New Testament to believe something like that. And this is why God has called men to be pastors with the primary concern of preaching the Word. Because in every generation, throughout the age of the church, there's an absence of the truth. There's even those who will teach falsehoods and distort the truth about Jesus Christ pretending to be Christian pastors. And Paul says that the followers of them will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul then continues the contrast of Timothy with these false teachers in verse 5. He says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul gives Timothy here another series of commands. There will always be false teachers telling sinful hearts what they want to hear, but Timothy is to always be sober-minded. Because the people won't always endure sound teaching. Their lives will be a wreck and unstable because of it, but Timothy is to remain focused. He's to keep his head. He's also to endure suffering. So Paul here reiterates a concept that he's lived out himself. Paul has endured much suffering in his life as a minister of the gospel. As he writes this letter from prison, and the word of God continues to advance. Paul's already called Timothy to join in suffering for the gospel, to be strong in grace, to be ready for persecution. And so enduring suffering and persecution in some way is something that all faithful pastors and all Christians go through. The next command is to do the work of an evangelist. Paul's not saying anything different really here than the command to preach the word, but he's not saying to be a traveling evangelist or a street corner evangelist. Timothy is to do the work of teaching and preaching the gospel. And so this is the second essential duty of a pastor, evangelize. Now, there is evangelize we usually think of, going out to non-believers, telling them the gospel, looking for God to convert them from the proclamation of the gospel. But the words evangelism, evangelist, even the word evangelical, they come from the Greek word euangelion, 
which just means the gospel. So by evangelize, what I mean is to make the gospel explicit. A pastor should be preaching and teaching the Word of God in a way that explicitly and clearly promotes and explains the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a primary part of preaching the Word because you can teach the Bible and leave out the gospel. When teaching from the Old Testament, it's the duty of the preacher to show how this Old Testament passage points us to or relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone can even be teaching from one of the gospel accounts in a story about Jesus, preaching on Jesus' words, and leave out the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's an essential duty of the pastor to evangelize by bringing to light the gospel in every sermon in a way that relates to the particular text that he has. The pastor should be evangelizing in the typical sense as well speaking to people about the Gospels, engaging those around him so that God may convert them through the Gospel. But the primary work of the pastor is to preach the Word, and that includes the Gospel. Then Paul concludes this list of commands with fulfill your ministry. This really is a summary of Timothy's calling. Paul wants him to fulfill all of his duties as a pastor. And there are many duties of a pastor to care and love the people under his care. But primarily, Paul's concerned with the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so that the people may be spiritually matured, ready for every good work. And Paul wants Timothy to faithfully fulfill these duties, despite the fact that many people will reject the message and that he will have to endure hardship because of it. John Calvin described this as, The more determined men become to despise the teaching of Christ, the more zealous should godly ministers be to assert it, and the more strenuous their efforts to preserve it entirely. And more than that, by their diligence to ward off Satan's attacks. The more difficult times become, the more people reject the truth of God, the more necessary it is to have a clear and persuasive proclamation of the gospel from preachers in the pulpit. So then Paul follows all of this with an example of his own faithfulness. Starting in verse 6, he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knows that he's awaiting execution. His death as a martyr is imminent. This letter is his last known communication with the outside world. So Paul wants Timothy to fulfill his ministry just as the apostle himself has, now at the point of his death. And by already being poured out as a drink offering, he means a sacrifice of his life is already being He's locked in a prison dungeon at the end of his life, and he won't leave without being martyred. His race is over. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And this is our third essential duty of a pastor, to faithfully finish. The thrust of Paul's commands and encouragement throughout this letter have been for Timothy to faithfully continue his duties to preach the word without hesitation. 
to proclaim the truth of God's word and Jesus Christ without fearing persecution and suffering, which will come his way, without being persuaded or discouraged by the rejection of other people or influenced by the sinful false teachers who may rise in prominence for a time, but ultimately they won't get very far. A pastor needs to faithfully finish by first remaining true to the word of God, remaining true to the gospel of Jesus Christ and not giving in to telling sinful hearts what they want to hear. And pastors unfortunately do this. They start telling people what they want to hear so that their ministry maybe can grow, so that they can be more popular, they can have more money, many different reasons, so they can have power and influence that comes from the world. But if the secular world accepts a pastor and his message, he's probably forsaken the gospel. A pastor also needs to finish faithfully in his personal life. This means not giving in to the many sinful downfalls we see from pastors, from adultery to pride to hunger for power. A pastor needs to guard his heart and continue to grow himself. The danger for pastors is that the gospel and the word of God start to become mundane. Pastors live in this theological world and they can lose sense of their awe in the Lord. And this causes so many issues in their lives. When they end up going through the motions, just grinding out the work without a love in their heart for God, for Jesus Christ, for the word of God, and for the people of God. And so Paul's command to Timothy to fulfill his ministry is a call to every pastor to preach the word faithfully, to evangelize by proclaiming the gospel relentlessly, and to faithfully finish their call even in the midst of suffering and temptation. The work of the Apostle Paul and really every faithful gospel preacher is pictured as fighting a fight, running a race, And faithfully finishing their ministry includes much hard work, sacrifice, even danger. But it's not without its reward. As Paul says in verse 8, Since he has faithfully finished his ministry, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Since Paul has remained sober-minded, enduring suffering, has done the work of the evangelist, has faithfully fulfilled his ministry of preaching the word, all that is left for him is a crown of righteousness. And so while the Roman emperor Nero, who has imprisoned Paul in Rome, will almost certainly declare him guilty and sentence him to death, God will declare him righteous based on the righteousness of Christ, and we will grant him to stand forever in loving relationship with Christ, the King. And so Paul's ultimate encouragement is not only to pastors, but to all Christians to remain faithful. Because the gift of God's eternal life awaits all who love the Lord Jesus Christ and long for his return. On the day of Christ's return, you will be rewarded when you faithfully finish with the ultimate fulfillment of your union with Christ. So let your passion for the gospel continue. Let your anticipation in his return be your hope. For as Jesus himself warned us that he will return like a thief in the night. No one knows when he will be coming. He said, therefore, stay awake. 
You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He also said, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And what he means is to continue in the work of the Lord, doing what pleases him. Stay faithful to the gospel, the word of God, heeding the wordings, following the commands, growing in spiritual maturity, growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Be patient, kind, loving, and gentle, even with your enemies and in the face of evil. Live through the sufferings of this life, pursuing godliness, fleeing sinfulness, consciously aware of what you've been entrusted with, knowing how important it is to respond to the gospel with faithful living in our daily decisions and actions. And we will receive our reward, but this reward is not based on our faithfulness, but on behalf of the faithfulness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the work of guarding the gospel, that is the task of the church, is done primarily through pastors that preach the word, evangelize with the gospel, and remain faithful until the end. And the end is when Christ will return and establish his reign forever. And this certain promise of the return of Christ assures us all that the faithful labor in the gospel that pleases the Lord is not in vain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly as your servants. We come in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his gospel that we hold dear in our hearts. May we continue to proclaim the gospel. May we not give in to wanting to hear the tickling of our ears and what our sinful hearts desire. But may we stay focused on you and your kingdom. May we long for the return of your Son, that we as your people will serve you in faithfulness and obedience until our race is finished. And that one day we'll receive the reward you have promised us in Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay. Find this. So as we have our communion hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, I would like to invite Jerry McFarland to lead us through the end of worship and administer the Lord's Supper.
people said. Amen. Please be seated. That old rugged cross is an old hymn, is it not? But what a, what a statement. Will you and I say, as professing Christians, I will cherish the old rugged cross. I will cherish it. That's something unique for us as Christians. I want to acknowledge and thank Brother Casey for practicing what he preaches. <laughs> Bringing the word of God to us, pointing us to Jesus. I encourage you to pray for Casey and his family as they continue to seek God's call. He feels the call to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has been preparing intensely for that and, and wants to be a part of our PCA Presbytery. And so that demands some great preparation, as you know. But what a young man who hungers that. But he needs the body of Christ <laughs> to encourage him, to help him in that preparation. So pray for him and his dear family. But what he did was write for anyone uh, aspiring and even being a minister of the gospel. And that is to point us to the centrality of what the Christian faith is about. What makes this thing called Christianity unique? It's an old rugged cross that people actually cherish. They delight in a man who died. That's their identity. So to preach the word is to preach Christ, the living word of God. The uniqueness of the Christian faith is that the word became flesh. To see Jesus Christ is to see God himself. And to hear Jesus Christ say to you and me, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Here's a uniqueness. There is no other way to come to God than through me. And who are you? I am one who has died for you. I am the Lamb of God who came to do what? To save you. Not as Casey said, other preachers say, to help us. Jesus didn't come to help you. Jesus came to save you because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the uniqueness of the faith is that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of our Savior. What makes you and I unique? We cherish an old, rugged there is no life apart from him. So as we come to this table, we should come hungering to know this living Jesus and know that he has set aside these elements for us not just to have a memorial service. He's alive. He is with us and he wants to feed us. That's why Paul was very excited but serious about this supper that you and I partake of. Importance of coming to it with the right heart and the right hunger. And I'll read those words of institution that he, he brought himself. Listen to what he said. I, re I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as long and often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if you read further on what he described there, he goes on to say, make sure you discern, think about what you're about to do. Make sure your heart is hungry to know this Jesus and to hold carefully These elements of his body and his blood, they are powerful. And to take them casually is to not take them at all. It is designed for you to be fed by him. So as we come, we come as a people who are broken, who know there is no hope apart from that old rugged cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus. I am nothing apart from him. You are ready to feed. You are ready to be fed. So as you come, come hungry, knowing that this is all you need for life and godliness. He has paid the price for you and me. If this is just a casual thing and you know in your heart you have not believed in Jesus Christ, then we encourage you to let these elements pass by. This is designed for those who have truly trusted in Christ alone, have publicly professed their faith in Christ, broken as they are, but know that he is sufficient. He has forgiven me. That's for you. With that in mind, let's pray and set aside these elements and this time for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again that we've been reminded again and again through the preaching of your word that the uniqueness of this Christian faith is the living Savior, Jesus Christ the one who died for us, the one who rose again, the one who has come and is coming again. So as we come to this meal, would you open our eyes to the eternal reality of this? That is not just to get us through this day, but it is a promise that you have life everlasting for us. So we ask you to take these common and ordinary elements and use them for an extraordinary purpose. By your Holy Spirit, to feed us in Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen.